0: Night wind to the little land. Well, here we go talking about the gospel of Jesus. What is it? We've been defining it, describing it uh, in very, various uh, ways. And now today we're talking about the fact that the gospel is global. The gospel is a, an international movement of God's spirit. If you don't get anything else out of what I say, take that away. The gospel is an international, local to global movement of God's spirit. So we're talking about that this morning first idea then is this, by God's design, the gospel is personal and universal. Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 2, and he says it this way, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. This is a personal expression uh, from the Apostle Paul. Yes, it's a theological statement, but he's giving us his personal uh, take on, on his experience with the gospel. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me. And gave himself for me. A lot of I and me in this. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, through any other means, Christ died for nothing. But really, what he's saying here is Christ died for me. The gospel is personal and the gospel is universal. He then says to the Galatians in chapter 3, verses 8 to 9. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, all the non-Jews, everybody else, by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. The gospel was international from the get-go. He, he, he announces at the very beginning in his initial conversation with Abraham that this is for everybody. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Wow. And this might not be a bombshell to you that it's personal or universal. But in our time, in our day, it's it's not unusual for people to say, you know, I, I think it's irrelevant to me personally, and it's really a Western thing. It's a colonial thing. It's not an international thing. It's passe, it's irrelevant. It's past its due date. It's used by date. And therefore you see the way we celebrate Christmas often in our culture as creative and expressive and whimsical as it is is disconnected from the actual gospel. Now if you are connected to the actual gospel all those creative expressions are fun. They're whimsical. They're interesting riffs on a culture's appropriation of what it means to celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus the life of Jesus and the life that Jesus gives us. Separated from that, it becomes its own version of irrelevancy. And so this is a bombshell that the gospel is local to global, personal and universal. God told Abraham he would bless all nations through him, through a nation. Abram, later Abraham, responds to God by trust. It's credited to him as righteousness. God gives him a family where he had no family. Out of that family grows a nation where there wasn't a nation. And out of that nation, all nations are blessed. And God specifically promised a ruler from David's house. David, the king at the high point in Israel's history. Uh, it is promised by God to the people that the Messiah, the Redeemer of Israel, would come through the house of David, would come from the house of David. That the house of David would know no end. And so the, the prophet Micah in, in uh, Micah 5.2 speaking on behalf of God, says it this way, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So you see this back and forth between this universal expression, this international intention, uh, to a local expression, uh, and a local experience. You see the micro and the macro of the gospel. So if the first point is that God's design of the gospel is personal and universal, the second point would be this. Jesus' birth is an international event rooted in this prophecy from Micah uh, regarding uh, the birth of the Messiah in Bethlehem, the ruler of Israel. And God uses a Gentile ruler to fulfill this prophecy, Caesar Augustus. His decision, his global decision for a census sent Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. We see this in Luke chapter 2 verses 1 to 7. In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Why? The extensive international Roman world. Time zones, languages, ethnicities, cultures all um, contained uh, organized into this empire. Well he needed money. So the census was to document everybody out there and how they could contribute uh, to finance this, this international project. Uh, Caesar Augustus has an international goal. Well, so does God. And goal, God's goal uh, to bless the whole world will, will be achieved uh, even <clears throat> through this decision of Caesar Augustus. A little footnote here. When God's doing a work in you, He's also doing a work through you. His intent is not just to bless us, but to bless others through us. That's why he said to Abraham, you will, you will be blessed to be a blessing. You, in this local place, will be a blessing internationally. Do you know that the, the body of, uh, of Christ uh, has more members outside the Western world than inside it? Fascinating to think. It is truly an international phenomenon to the point that other nations uh, representing uh, believers in those nations are sending missionaries uh, to us. Fantastic reversal. We desperately need them, of course. The gospel is an international movement of God's spirit. And so th- in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. When it says up from uh, Nazareth is north of Jerusalem. So in our thinking we say he went down to Jerusalem but because Jerusalem is at a higher elevation he goes up. In Israel the orientation is uh, all roads lead up to Jerusalem. And he goes to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of David uh, and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who is also of the house of David. All these various streams from David who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Uh, Another footnote here. We think of the nativity scene, the the crush. It's it's a barn-like outbuilding. Uh, Really, it was a home. And the home, uh, in every Jewish home, uh, the, the cattle, the livestock were kept in the lower part for protection, for safety, uh, so there was, there was a trough that they could drink water in a manger so they could eat. So this wasn't that there was an innkeeper saying they couldn't stay at his hotel. This was all these families returning uh, to the, the place of heritage, and all those families trying to accommodate. Family members from all over the place, and so they were in a home, but down in the place where the animals were kept. And then God further confirms this prophecy with magi from the east, magi, uh, astronomers, uh, astrologers. they were people who studied the stars. They were sophisticated, highly educated people with a lot of influence. They tended to be elites uh, in whatever culture they lived. And they felt compelled to follow a star which ultimately led them to Bethlehem. Uh, We see this in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, east where? We don't know. Anywhere you stand in Israel and look east could be where they came from. uh, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran. They could come from Ethiopia. Uh, Israel is the crossroads uh, of of, uh, the Mideast, Africa uh, and further east. So who knows? And they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed Which was not unusual. Herod was often and usually always disturbed because he was uh, uh, fanatically, uh, neurotically, chronically paranoid about his own grip on power. Uh, So much so that he had his own children uh, killed. He killed anybody who was a perceived enemy or threat uh, to his rule. So this certainly disturbed him. Uh, And when he sneezed, the whole country said, uh, God bless you, because it was like All Jerusalem with him was disturbed by this news. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Where was this guy going to be born? And by the way, why didn't you know this? Why are these guys from the east coming to tell us this? Well, he said in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. And now he uh, hears them quote again, Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I love the the language here, to shepherd, a ruler who would shepherd, who cared for the well-being of the people. This was not a description of King Herod. Often this is not a description of leaders. Often it's their own needs that are most important. That's why it's so refreshing when you have a leader who says, I care about the people. What can I do to serve the people? A leader at any level who is a servant leader is a profoundly influential, impactful leader. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Was he genuine? Uh, I don't think so. Subsequent events would show that he was not genuine at all. In fact, he commanded that all children age two and younger would be all boy uh, babies would be slaughtered. Slaughtered. The slaughter of the innocents—a horrifically tragic and vicious response to Herod feeling threatened by the king who was born the king who has prophesied. God keeps his promises. So really, Herod, uh, claiming to be Jewish himself, I should have embraced this as good news, but it wasn't. It was for him, very, very bad news. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went Ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. What a great response. In the presence of Jesus, uh, to bow down and worship. Not only that, it says, Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, these were three very, very valuable, very expensive and rare commodities. None of them from Israel. Uh, there's a fellow these days uh, growing myrrh down by the Dead Sea. But he, he, uh, he stole the myrrh plant from uh, Saudi Arabia and they've been cultivating it. But there was no myrrh and frankincense industry in Israel that we know of. There was no gold in Israel. When Solomon built the temple, he needed a lot of gold. All the gold came from Saudi Arabia, from Ophir. So this frankincense and myrrh, this gold, could have come from uh, India, Ethiopia, Saudi Arabia. We don't know. If you stand in Israel, everything east is east. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. An international moment. International gifts for this very local child. But remember, this very local child came to fulfill God's international movement through his Holy Spirit. If you want to find Jesus nowadays, good news, you don't need to go to Bethlehem. All you need to do is find a disciple of Jesus or be a disciple of Jesus. They are everywhere and he is with them wherever they are. Let that sink in wherever they are. That's because faithful people have proclaimed the gospel worldwide in response to Jesus' command, fulfilling God's promise. We see this in Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20. Jesus said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's my authority. The early church took a phrase used of Caesar, Caesar is Lord. And they rightly corrected it to Jesus is Lord. That phrase, Jesus is Lord, is a theological statement based on biblical content. The revelation of God in Christ. God himself becomes king, fulfilling the prophecy through Micah. And yet, it's also a political statement. Political in the most basic root sense of the word. For the well-being of the people. It's a a political statement that God has the well-being of people in heart and mind. Jesus is Lord. Somebody else could be king or governor or senator, congressman, mayor, any kind of leadership description you want to give. There's only one Lord. Jesus is Lord. And because Jesus is Lord, we can be saved. And because Jesus is Lord, we celebrate His birth. And the third point would be this. Jesus' final instructions were a local to global prophetic command. His final instructions to his disciples, following the resurrection, following this command to go make disciples. Uh, before his ascension, uh, this is recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 to 8. It says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, in the context of this international movement, their focus is on the local. Well, Lord, finally, is Israel going to get back what it rightfully should possess, its own nation? His own status as a state. And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. This is much larger. There's more at stake. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Everyone who receives Jesus as Lord and Savior, who puts their hope and trust in him, receives the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it might not seem like it, You might say, well, I don't know that I've received the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you exercising faith that would require the power of the Holy Spirit? Oftentimes, uh, when I travel internationally and and, uh, meet followers of Jesus, there seems to be a very powerful work of the Spirit. And they often tend to be in very poor places. And you wonder, is it the poverty that, that provokes the Spirit? No, it's the heart of the person saying, but for the Holy Spirit, I have no idea what I would do. There's this beautiful sense of dependency and trust in the Holy Spirit. In our country, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we often think, well, Lord, if you can't cover it, i got the bread covered. I've got my daily bread covered. But as we start to step out in faith and exercise our faith in ways that would require us to depend on God, we would experience the Holy Spirit uh, more obviously. But everybody who who has him in their life has the Holy Spirit. And so he said to them, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the, to the ends of the earth, from local to global. You'll be my witnesses. Uh, the literal word here is martyr. You'll bear witness to me. Martyrs live for Christ. Sometimes uh, martyrs die for Christ. I love what Cardinal Timothy Nolan said last week. Do not forget the persecuted church as you celebrate Advent and Christmas. There are more people being persecuted in Jesus' name for Jesus' sake than any other time in history. Why? Because there's more people confessing Him as Lord and Savior than any other time in history. It's easy to forget that. We're inconvenienced by a culture that could, could feel hostile to us as followers of Jesus. By a media that seems to express an inherent hostility a disdain for people who confess Christ and integrate their life around him, especially in public life. But we really have not experienced the kind of persecution that is worldwide and rampant even now. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. What's interesting is that this is all relative, isn't it? For somebody else, the very ends of the earth are here. And so the Bishop of Rwanda, has uh, authorized a, a mission called the Anglican Mission in America. There's hundreds of churches being established under the Anglican tradition in America, under the auspices of the Bishop of Rwanda, to the ends of the earth. If you live in Rwanda, wow, how far can you go? The United States is pretty far away. If you believe in Jesus, you are a local and global witness for him. You are a local and global witness for him. Local, because you live out your faith where you live. Global, because you're connected and you're thinking and you're prayerful about the church far beyond where you live. You're part of an international worldwide movement of God's spirit. That's why God allows La Jolla Community Church to exist. That we would equip the saints for ministry. Ephesians 4.11, that's, that's basically the ethos of our church. We exist to, to equip the saints for ministry, to raise up people to know Christ through the power of His Holy Spirit the authority of his word, the community of his people so they can understand the gift entrusted to them and use those to bless others in ministry. To equip the saints for ministry, it just says we help believers understand what God has put in their hands and their head and in their heart. We're in this together, and together we make a difference in us as we minister to one another, but also uh, beyond us. Uh, We make a difference in Jesus' name. let's recommit ourselves to that as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Uh, All the wonderful festivities and the traditions uh, that allow us to celebrate Christmas are fantastic gifts. Think of all those wonderful creative people who've who've, uh, come up with these fantastic ways, whether it's foods or songs or other traditions that we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus and, and the ministry of Jesus. But let's recommit ourselves to the core gospel of Jesus. Local to global is an essential aspect and expression of our identity in Christ. We lose that, we lose our identity. If You see yourself as a little provincial Christian in your little world, safe and secure from all those horrible things happening out there. You're going to cut yourself off from the very lifeblood of this movement of God's Spirit. We want to live locally, but think and act globally as well. After all, that was Jesus' identity when he came into the world. He came in as an international man. You are an international man, woman, young person. Every age and stage in life, you can be an international citizen of God's kingdom and of this world. You might have an American passport. I thank God for my citizenship, my American passport. But I want to live as an international citizen. And ultimately, my highest allegiance is to my citizenship in the kingdom of God. And so his advent is also ours. He shows up, we get to show up. He arrived, we get to arrive. I say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do to fulfill your promises to bless all nations on earth? And so we're showing up. And I hope we're enjoying it as we celebrate it, as we live it out together. I hope you and your family particularly have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas celebration and a very happy day. Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for me, for my family, for all the families of this congregation, in this entire community, in this county, in this country, and around the world. That as we celebrate your birth, the hope of your birth and your life would flood our hearts and minds. That the reality and the power of your Holy Spirit would equip us and put in our hands the very things that this world desperately needs. Lord, we thank you for the capacity to celebrate so creatively, with whimsy and wonder So, for that, we give you honor and glory and praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So, now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us that we might reflect his glory every day, wherever we go, with whomever we are, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son